This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color. I'm Tony Epstein, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. you're afraid. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to show you a world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. guest is Sharon Martin. She's a medical doctor and shamanic healer. She's a graduate of Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and the Healing the Light Body Curriculum of the Four Winds Society. Sharon Martin is also the author of this new book that we'll be talking about, Maximize Your Healing Power, Shamanic Healing Techniques to Overcome Your Health Challenges. So Sharon, welcome to the Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you for inviting me. This is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, totally enjoyed this book. Wonderful. So as a uh, Western trained medical doctor, how and why were you drawn to shamanic healing? I think it's been a long journey of searching and seeking for something bigger, something that is more sustaining from the point of view of, I'll just be a little new agey here, of heart energy and science. I'll completely admit that I'm a nerd. I love science. But when it comes to making people feel healed, we don't always hit the mark. Can we get rid of some physical problems? Yes. But have we always engaged people from the heart level, from the soul level, which I I believe in a soul? Um, No, we haven't. And when I started reading about shamanic practices, I first read Dr. Alberto Violdo's book, Shaman, Healer, and Sage, and learned about how the Peruvian shamans of the Andes saw the person's energy field, saw how they interacted with their life experiences and how that affected their health. It made such sense to me, and it was so holistic in the true original sense of the word. And I thought, you know, I want to learn more. I want to know more of how to really make a difference for people. And nowadays, there's a word going around that Stefan Schwartz, who is a scientist and a remote viewer, uses this phrase a lot. And I get it. I finally get it. He talks about promoting well-being. And sometimes mainstream medicine doesn't always promote well-being. I mean, we certainly put a lot of burdens on people in terms of 
the way the medical office visit is structured and the way the finances are structured. But it's even bigger than that. And I think we need to get back to promoting well-being. Yeah, I totally agree. So could you talk about or go more deeply into the fundamental differences between the shamanic and Western medical approach to healing and the mindset that each brings to all of this? Yes. So the shaman, and I'm not claiming to be a shaman, I have studied shamanic techniques and I've adopted the perspective. I know there's a lot of grumbling about people co-opting that, but a shaman looks at the patient as an integral part, not just of the village, but also of an integral part of a relationship deeply held between the earth and the celestial bodies. Every part of the universe is felt to be in an interconnected web, which we talk about now, but the shamans lived and breathed that. There was no separation between the elements of nature and the human. And the journey was known to be eternal and was known to impact everything around. So if the client was not well, the tribe was not well, and the earth around them was not well. And that holistic view is a fundamental difference when you talk about healing from a shaman's perspective. So that part, and I alluded to that just a few moments ago, if we talk about the soul's journey. So the soul, I happen to believe in one, but a human being comes to the earth. I also happen to believe in reincarnation, comes to the earth with a mission, so to speak, a soul purpose, and the ability to make an impact in the lives of your little microcosm. And so when mainstream medicine looks at you from a perspective of trying to offer you a cure or a fix for something, they don't always, in fact, rarely talk about to get you feeling well so you can go back to your contribution to the world. Now, psychiatry probably does this the quickest and easiest in mainstream medicine. Probably if you are talking to a cancer doctor or, you know, a palliative doctor. But in general, we don't. It's a quick, let's talk about this for your blood pressure, this for your blood sugar, this for your breathing problems, and then it's done. It's not as holistic. So that's what I love about learning shamanic techniques. The other thing that I think is a fundamental difference is the shaman in this worldview recognizes that you can shift reality and recognizes that the way you perceive something changes how it impacts yourself and your outcome. And that is not at all incorporated in mainstream medicine. That idea of looking for a different destiny line, looking for a shift. And we're starting to see it now coming through in some of the spiritual teachers of today who are teaching about how your thoughts create your reality. The shamans knew that because the shamans lived and breathed in the world of the universal field and consciousness. And so that is missing in mainstream medicine. And I'm hoping that it's going to start to filter in, to percolate, because when we talk, and a lot of the techniques in my book involve engaging the reader's intention, engaging their way of thinking about something. And when you engage your thinking, you are indeed shifting your perspective. And when you shift your perspective, you are changing the outcome of your physicality and your destiny line. So those are two very big differences, but I'm optimistic that the two worlds can come together, especially when the teachings of the spiritual teachers who bring in these learnings about shifting your thoughts and shifting your reality are starting to become more and more in the mainstream. And people are starting to realize that they themselves 
have the power over engaging their wishes, their desires, the way they see themselves. And that's going to shape mainstream medicine, which I'm glad for. The thing I think that can come in really strongly if is if, and I hope that my book can help people do this, is to really start as the reader, as the person who wants to shift a life challenge, really start to feel into the outcome you want that may be very different than how you feel you are at the moment. And as soon as you start to break down the bars of that cage of thought that you're in, then you are opening possibilities that can seem miraculous, but actually are possible. Mm, Yeah, I love all this stuff. And I love the notion of our ability, our intrinsic ability to shift our own reality and and to engage in that kind of co-creative process with the universe that we are a part of. And one thing that I want to ask you about is the ritualistic aspect of shamanic practice that's used to reconnect us with our, or to our soul level experience so that we can engage in these ways and also get in touch with the deeper connected intentions that we have in relation to our lives as they are now that are not functioning in alignment with who we most truly are and what we're most wanting to become. So that's another big component in my book that I learned from studying shamanism was the integral use of ritual. And so I thought about that a lot off and on, and especially when I have been on podcasts talking about my book, I've kind of been challenged to really deepen into that. But ritual is powerful. So why do I sense its power? When you engage in a ritual, and in many of the practices and the exercises I teach in my book, I talk very specifically about start from being in sacred space. So for me, any ritual that's going to have any great impact should start from that, I call sacred space, that sweet spot that place where you, as the performer, the person doing the ritual, is completely present at all levels. External world shut out, whether that's kneeling on a pew in a church, whether that's sitting at the base of a tree, whether that's lighting a candle beside your bed and saying a wish before you go to sleep. When you're fully present, then you are activating your connection by your thoughts to your subconscious and to source, which I think from a physicist perspective, we would probably say that we're talking about the universal field that's felt to be, and I don't talk about this in my book, but it's felt to be an information field. When you're connecting in that way, you are literally linking up your physicality and your consciousness to all that is. And then each ritual, whether it's the lighting of the candle, the kneeling as you enter the church, any of those rituals then are performing a task that most of the time when you're doing it has been done for thousands of years by hundreds of people. There is, I believe, I don't know how to prove it scientifically, and I'll use words that may not have the right explanation in physics, but there is an energy vortex that you are stepping into. There is a configuration of vibratory field, again, I'm using my words, that for thousands of years, for hundreds, thousands of people have done the same thing there is a pattern, there is an energetic pattern that you are engaging with. And that's why sacred sites are so powerful and evoke such stirrings in us. Just take, for example, a sacred site such as the Wailing Wall or Machu Picchu or one of the kivas in Southwest United States. You can feel a shift in the energy as you approach. 
And that is because thousands of people before you have connected with that space and set up what I call an energy vortex. So a ritual brings all of yourself to the picture and it says, I'm fully present here. And it engages the universal field. It taps into the power that has been established previously by thousands and millions of people. And then it sets you up to really have the best flow of your intention. And that's a big one. Intention, which is your laser-focused, deeply held wish for an outcome and sets up that for you to best flow from your consciousness to your intention to then creating how your body moves forward in the world and how your actions move forward. And that linking, that linking up, that's why I call it the sweet spot, when you are totally engaged in that way, you are, and I'll use modern day words, you're downloading power. You're downloading all of those possibilities from source, from the universal field, because you are linking up. And meditation does that, and prayer does that, and rituals do that. And so that's what I love about rituals and how you can use them in healing, because it is that sacred space where you are fully present, holding only the highest intention for yourself. So these practices are like creating a new current, a new stream, or new direction in our lives. Because most of us have been living in these old stories, these old cultural narratives that we've pretty much lived with without questioning them. And in the shamanic realm of practice, there's the use of altered states and also what are called spirit helpers. Could you talk about the interrelationship of how we are engaged in an inter, an inner kind of alchemical process of working with those old stories and being stuck? You talked about being, you know, behind the bars of our own mental thinking and beliefs. Talk about how these different elements, these different shamanic practices help to free us of the prison of our mind and the stories that we've pretty much been brought up with our entire lives and continue creating on a daily basis. No kidding. So let me just follow up with one thing about not only is the ritual bringing in a new current, you're also bringing in, if you're bringing it in from the highest perspective, from the universal field, you could in fact be bringing in the pattern of the original template of the way our bodies were supposed to work. So in that sense, you're not only stepping into something new, but you are also stepping into something ancient, tried and true. So one of the hardest challenges, I see this for my patients all the time, and what you literally could spend years with working with a therapist is the courage to, number one, own that you have created definitions of who you are based on your story, and then have the courage to say, wait a second, I'm eternal. I'm not that. It is possible. Now, it's hard when somebody is really locked into physical diagnoses, but it is possible to say that I am not this. I am not just a person with diabetes. I am not just a person with lupus. I am not just a wounded, disabled person in pain. As soon as you start to allow that permission to be something else, you are acknowledging, even if you're not aware of it consciously, you're acknowledging that you are eternal and that you exist beyond these physical ailments that you define yourself as. And as soon as you allow that you do not have to continue those, that you don't have to define yourself, and I call it the box, you've put yourself in a box, 
the story becomes the cage that you live in and you are constricted and you are not very forward moving. You are only moving forward based on how you think this disease allows you to move forward. You've relinquished all your power. And as soon as you start to say, I can be more, I can be different, I can expand out of this, you are removing the bars that your thoughts and your assumptions have created. And then the possibilities for a new destiny start to pop in. So that losing your story is such a big deal. And it's hard when your body is reacting in physical ways from a diagnosis. It's hard to see that you're something else, that you're something different. I tell the story in my book. And if my girlfriend's listening, yes, I am talking about you. For years, she would say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm too old to do that. No, I'm not going to keep doing this because I'm too old to do that. What she really meant is, I've done that often enough in my life. I'm ready to do something different and more. But she kept starting the story with, I'm old. I'm old. Now, I believe in the connections between all the words you've said for years and what happens to you. So I'll just own that up front. And wouldn't you know it, she got an autoimmune disease and it included arthritis and she felt old and she was acting old. And finally, after years of grumbling, quit saying that, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to retire. I'm too old. Quit saying that. Instead, say what you really mean. What you really mean is, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be free and expanded and not have to go to work anymore. I want to have the freedom to do whatever I want. That's different from saying I'm old. And sure enough, she got an illness that literally crippled her. She's much, much better now, and she's changed the way she thinks about it. And she's vibrant and out of pain. But there was a couple of rough years there. So it does matter what you say, and it does matter how you see yourself. That's really utterly fascinating how the power of story really affects us in very, very concrete ways. Yes. I have a friend, Sharon Klingler, who is a medium and an author, brilliant, brilliant medium. She wrote a book about the power of words. And it's really true. As soon as you say something, you are locking in a feeling and you are locking in a vibratory current related to the feeling that you're expressing. And that affects your energy field. And when it affects your energy field, it affects your physicality. So you really, you really want to be careful how you talk about things. You really want to keep bad juju out of your life. So even when somebody's totally annoying, you don't want to wish them harm. All those kinds of things keep your spiritual ethics squeaky clean, and you'll be better for it, even in the physical realm. Yeah, that was something I wanted to get into in this conversation, that dynamic and and how that works. Because in our culture, we do not believe in such things. So what I learned from Alberto, when he studied for years with the shamans of the Andes, they see our energy field. And it turns out when Alberto brought the learnings back, this was many years ago, and was talking to his friends in the San Francisco area, somehow was related to him that how the shamans of the Andes saw the energy body was exactly as the meridians seen in 5,000-year-old Chinese medicine. And so they see an energy body, and they recognize that any interaction we have, which bumps into the energy bodies of others, leaves an impact on our energy field. And when you have angry words coming at you, that literally affects you as powerfully as if somebody shot an arrow at you. And those vibes, so to speak, those vibrational signatures have effect. I don't know if you 
remember ever reading a book by Dr. David Hawkins, Power Versus Force. So Dr. Hawkins was a psychiatrist. He worked at the National Institutes of Health, and he had a transcendental experience that I don't know the details of, but he moved to Sedona. And he started in his meditations and in his studies, trying to quantify the vibratory fields of emotions. And so he made a chart and it's a logarithmic scale with love being the most high. And this is why a lot of new age teachings, they talk about raise your vibration, high vibrating energy of love. And of course, anger, jealousy, greed, fear, were all below the baseline. And those thoughts literally have vibratory impact. We saw that again when we saw Dr. Masuro Emoto, when he did the emotional effects on water molecules. Do you remember that? And whether or not you got a gorgeous frozen snowflake or you got some jumbled up icky thing. Mm -hmm. Well, Lynn McTaggart writes about this in her book, The Field, all the experiments the physicists have done to show that you can literally affect your water molecules by your thoughts. And when you figure our body is 65% water, water molecules hold, this is the basis of homeopathic medicine, water molecules hold the, quote, memory of what they've been exposed to, even when that chemical they've been exposed to is no longer around. So put all those things together and you can kind of see the intriguing concepts that your thoughts really do change things. Your thoughts really do impact and we should be careful. And that's what I try to help my patients see. The way you think about yourself, whether you're a healthy person or a sick person, if you define yourself by your diagnoses, you are limited as your diagnoses are. So it really does matter that you change your story. Mm. And it reaffirms that we are actually living in an energy field, a fluid and dynamic energy field that is in constant fluctuation and constantly being affected by everything that's going on. Yes. And when we tap into the universal field, and I don't think physicists yet know what that's actually made of, but it's what Greg Braden probably calls the divine matrix. It's that all-encompassing all that is. To me, it's like a velvet pool of potential. And our physical world becomes created as our thoughts come down from that potential and decide we want this physicality. Now, that speaks more to deep meditators who know how to do this, as the yogis did and the Dalai Lama does. I don't, I'll admit I don't know it that well, but I understand the possibilities. So I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's such a wonderful thing. And it relates to aligning ourselves with that if we can get out of our way. You know, like in the Christian tradition, they talk about aligning ourselves with the will of God. I would put it in terms like you described, like being in alignment with all that is, as opposed to the way, you know, with our stories, we tend to argue with reality and resist it. And then we create problems for ourselves and additional suffering and additional problems. And they just spiral endlessly and further out of control. And and the thing also is that they're limited. And I talk about this in a section of my book. I talk about the concept of the assemblage point. When you stop feeling as expanded as that universal field, when you stop feeling as full of potential as it exists out there, the all that is, and you build a story you are getting, it's like you're holding up a funnel and you start with this very wide, big, and you're pulling it down to a very fine, small, you're just being more and more small. And so when you shift your thinking and your perception, you are shifting your worldview, which allows you to see 
another possibility from this deep sea of potential and step into it. And I think there are many teachers who will say, and it's usually those who have studied with yogis and the Hindu tradition, that our reality is created by ourselves, but because the possibilities for anything exist in the universal field. Sharon Martin. She's a licensed medical doctor and shamanic healer and the author of this new book that we're talking about, Maximize Your Healing Power, Shamanic Healing Techniques to Overcome Your Health Challenges. And this is the Magical Mystery Tour. There's a line in the book where you say, we alone are responsible for every circumstance and event that we encounter in our lives. And that includes every person we encounter and that everybody around us and all the circumstances can only act in the way we perceive and expect them to. Yes. And that perception and expectation, as soon as you can float a new thought a new awareness, you're opening up possibilities. And when I relate that back to being a better physician, we're always taught, at least back to medical school, and of course, we've made our scientific worlds as doctors, the longer we've been in it, we get smaller and smaller in terms of our viewpoints, but we're taught to consider all of these alternate possibilities for disease. You see something bad on an x-ray, instead of assuming it's cancer, you're taught to think different and bigger and something else. Always look for something else. And that really, when you open your perception that way, then you allow possibilities of other things being the cause. And you don't lock the person. If you're the client themselves, you don't lock yourself. If you're the physician, you don't lock your patient into a doom and gloom. And I think for me, I need to keep those open perspectives and possibilities at the very least so I can keep hope alive. Because otherwise, if I keep locking my patients into doom and gloom, that's really not a very fun job to go to all the time. Yeah. And that affects the practitioner as well, if they think along those lines. Oh, there have been numerous times that it's been assumed that something is bad and it turns out to not be. I had a woman patient who had some swollen lymph nodes in her neck. You know, the CAT scan said, oh, this could be a lymphoma and went to the oncologist. They said, okay, there's a lymphoma, but based on your blood work, it's what we call smoldering, meaning it's not a fire burning out of control. It's just kind of simmering there and don't worry. Well, they never did a biopsy. And luckily, I mean, I believed the oncologists when they sent the report, because that's what you send people to the specialists for. But luckily, she was absolutely brilliant and refused to accept. And she said no. And she went to another cancer center, a bigger one, and they did a biopsy. Well, it turned out to be an autoimmune, very well-controlled, not lethal sarcoidosis. And she doesn't even have to see the doctor every year. So, I mean, you painted a gloom and doom, even though you said, don't worry, this is smoldering. You're going to be fine for many years. You know, that's not the same as getting the proof. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my understanding about all these physical conditions is that they're also malleable and changing all the time because we are actually living in an energy field, a fluctuating energy field. And because everything is continually affecting the state of that energy field, our body on the physical level is also being affected in those same ways so that 
one diagnosis in one moment can change in the next moment. And you're absolutely right. And there are some healers that I've met recently that work by tapping into that field. And I'll use my words, downloading the original template of the way the cells should be working. Now, I also know from the more metaphysical teachings of other people I've spoken with and read about that the universal field is one of potential and it is our thoughts that create what is physically manifest. And I think this is frontier stuff and I certainly don't understand it completely or how to work within it. But with the teaching that when we tap into that potential, we can literally create with our thoughts a new reality. And there are people who can change their thinking and heal their cancers, heal their tumors, heal their heart disease, you know, have the oncologist look and say, what? What was here six weeks ago isn't here anymore. Can I teach you exactly how to do that? Not yet. I'm learning that myself. But is it possible? I absolutely believe that it is. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. And if we can come to realize that we have those choices in each moment, that is incredibly empowering. And it also gives you back your control over your reality and your destiny. And I believe, and that's one of the main goals of my book, Maximize Your Healing Power, is is I want the reader to take back control. And I want to show you, you have tools to do that, that you do not have to accept something. You do not have to let life land on you. You can actually be the driver of your own bus. Yeah. I've been working on this stuff in my own life for many years. And yet at the same time, I'm living in this culture that is literally rushing in the opposite direction with tremendous force. So it's a continual struggle to maintain that perspective. Well, you know, one of, and you've hit on something that is going on in our culture these days, there are powerful collective conscious thought forms going around with a whole section of people in the, you know, hate-filled, intolerant negativity. And those thought forms literally permeate from one person to the other, and it sets up a collective thought form. That's, I'll use that word for a collective energy field that is very draining and difficult to get past. Yeah. And even if it's not hateful and negative in those ways, it can still restrict us like being in a psychological and emotional straitjacket. And especially if you come with beliefs taught to you and conditioned in your upbringing. Yeah, that's the straitjacket. <laughs> yep. So another thing that you wrote about, which I loved in the book, was the approach of Frank Fool's Crow. You oh, know, I love Frank Fool's Crow. And how he would have his patients stay with him for four days, even though he said that his healing work was instantaneous. So I love that. I've never met Frank Fool's Crow. I'm very sad that I didn't. I keep daydreaming about going out to the Pine Ridge Reservation some summer to see where he lived and worked. But his biography was written by Thomas Means, and it's called Wisdom and Power. And he would have his clients come and stay in his teepee for four days. And Frank could perform, and he would be the first to tell you it was spirit, what we would call the universal field, the all that is. He would never claim ownership of the miracles, but man, could he do miraculous things. And he was asked by the biographer, you know, how come you have them come for four days? And he said something to the effect of spirit doesn't take four days. Spirit is instantaneous, but the client needs four days. So when I put that in the words that we use nowadays, when we talk about our more new age metaphysics, 
the client's vibratory field vibration has to elevate to the level of being able to connect to spirit. And there is inherent in each of us a threshold over which you have to cross where you give permission to heal, where you allow that it can be different. That's like being willing to open the cage of your story. You have to allow it to be different. You have to allow the possibility that it can change and really feel that in every fiber of your being, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. And when you do that, the miraculous is right there. But we are we are very conditioned and we are very dense. Humans, by naturally being in physical form, is very dense energy, very heavy. You congregate all the molecules together into organs and skin and cells and things, which is not the same as the high vibrating frequency of the universal field. That is very, in fact, the Andean Quechua Indians, you know, talk about Sami, which is that high refined energy, the light stuff, the light fluffy stuff, and the hucha, which is the dark, heavy, dense. Well, humans, by their very nature, walk around in the denser, heavier fields. We are literally made into form. So when you allow yourself to heal, you're allowing even your organs and cells to be able to be reconfigured. And that's a big ask, especially if you're trapped by pain or a physical condition, to say to just allow that it could be different. That's a big ask. But that's how, Frank, I think why it took four days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and that connects with what you call perfecting our intention. So could you talk about the importance of getting our intention clear and alignment with that sense of who we are most wanting to be? Yes. So intention is a really big deal. And intention is having a thought that is aligned with all aspects of our being. So we could say, oh, I hate this job. I, I got to have a new job. But overwhelmingly, the energy that you're feeling is, I got to get out. You know, I'm in ick and I got to get out. It's not in the feeling of when I am in a new job, how glorious and free and respected and full of purpose I feel. You're in the thought of, oh, I can't stand my boss and the place I go to work and they don't pay me and all the... When you set an intention, first of all, you want to be really clear what you're asking for. And I mean crystal clear, because to say, oh, I want a new job. Well, what you're really saying is I want to get out of here. Well, boom, you could get out of there, but who knows where you're going to land. So you want to really focus on holding thoughts of when you land at your future self, how you want to feel. You don't want to say, oh, I can't stand it. I'm in pain all the time. Get me out of here. No, you want to say, oh, look at me living pain-free. My joints are fluid. I'm flexible. I feel alive. I feel vibrant. That's way different than, oh, just get me away from this arthritis that's got me crippled and the muscles that ache all the time, and I'm old. Those are two very different thoughts, because just getting away from something doesn't mean you land in a better place. So when you set your intention, and attention for me is an absolutely laser-focused thought, aiming directly on the target of what you truly at your deepest level, heart, body, and soul level, want. And I do an exercise in my book in Meeting the Future You, seeing yourself as that free, vibrant, expanded, full of life force. That's a different thought to hold than, oh my God, I got to get out of here. Because that thought's about escape and reminding yourself every moment of the ick. You want a thought that is 
light and feels good and wakes your heart and soul up. So those kinds of things, when you intend for something, just be sure what you're really asking. Say you're in a relationship. Oh, you know, I really need a new boyfriend because this guy's driving me crazy. So, okay, maybe the universe goes, boom, here he is. Somebody new doesn't mean somebody better. So really hold, how do you want to feel? How do you want to be enlivened when you set your intention? Now, an intention is, I'll just say, an intention is not just an affirmation. It's not just telling yourself a good feeling thought all the time. It is seeing yourself in your wish of what you want to embody. So it's really activating all parts of you. Including the direct feeling quality of it. Absolutely. Which is actually the most important part of it, although it does take some work to get there. The feeling is absolutely the... Your feelings and your energy field are more closely linked. Yes, we can think, but we can get jumbled up in our head. But if our thoughts create a feeling, that feeling has energy to it. And that energy should, if you're going to choose it, to focus on, expand you, enliven you, wake you up, fill you with purpose, give you clarity, vision, wisdom, the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. So in shamanic practice, there's often talk of using, quote unquote, spirit helpers or energetic forces that are outside of ourselves to help us to amplify our power or the power of our intention in these ways. So I'll have to admit that when I talk about spirit helpers sometimes to people, and especially if I talk about my connection to the energy of dragon, you know, there's people who think I'm a little off base. There are energy configurations in the universe. There are intelligences in the universe. There are energies of nature, of power animals, of higher vibratory intelligences that we call angels that have particular energy configurations and that evoke certain characteristics and feelings. So for example, let's take, and we call them, I call them helpers, because when you connect with these energies, you are asking for these energies to amplify your field. So it's giving you more juju in your repertoire. So in Native American, they talk about power animals all the time. What does having a helper of a power animal do for you? Well, if you focus on a particular animal, let's take wolf, for example. A wolf is incredibly intelligent, very, very loyal to its pack, to its family, very protective, wise about its environment. When you connect with wolf, you are asking to connect to those characteristics that may have energies that you yourself don't have yet. So when I first was doing my shamanic training, we had an exercise and we were going on a journey to the underworld, which is the subconscious world, journeying there. And I happened to meet this gorgeous puma. I'm talking gorgeous, big, tawny, gorgeous puma. And in the meditation, in the journey that we were led on, I was in an underground cave and I couldn't find my way out. And the puma appeared, and that was also in the same family as Jaguar, appeared and stood up in the cave, found the opening in the top of the cave, and was so tall when he stood on his back feet that he could reach out the top of the hole of this underground cavern, and I could see the starlight that he was connecting to. And I was able to, in this meditative journey, climb on top of his back and use him as a ladder to walk out. Now, it's interesting in shamanic teachings in the Peruvian Andes, they talk about the jaguar 
as being the rainbow bridge. So the bridge between the world of the living and the world of death when you go back to all that is. And so here, it was so interesting that this jaguar appears to me and literally leads me out of this underworld where it was dark everywhere. I didn't know where to go and led me to the stars. So since that time, I was very connected to the energies of jaguar and I would feel them all around me every day. And it was interesting back then. I had a lot of anxiety coming from childhood, who knows, the world. But the jaguar made me feel very safe, made me feel very protected and very, I was able to be strong. And so you bring a power animal to you that can give you energies that you don't have operating in your usual daily energetic construction. And you start to bring those in again. You don't assume you're stuck in what you have now. You try on these new things. And then I started to operate with more sense of stability and security. And I still meditate with those jaguars on a daily basis. So those kinds of helpers are there for you to expand your awareness and your perception of who you are and use that expanded awareness to choose new directions and how you proceed in life. So those helpers, those power animals, or whatever form they may show up in your life in, they become part of our energy field. Your connections, your alliances, yes, you are sharing their energies. And so one thing that I want to say here, because it's very, very important, When you align yourself with these other energies, and there are many energies of nature, of the universe, of the celestial bodies that have intelligences, when you align yourself and you take on the teachings that these energies can give you, for me, the jaguar was security and protection and fearlessness, then you have to give something back. You have to have a reciprocal energy of respect and gratitude because you don't keep sucking up the life around you without giving something in return. That's not a sustainable relationship. And having that mutual respect and that willingness to offer something back is critical to a long standing relationship. And I think I say this in my book is. Nothing sends a power animal or a helper packing quicker than you not respecting it. So what do I mean by that? And then the other question is, okay, well, what can I, Sharon, give a jaguar? Well, every time in my meditation that I've had either an angel being show up, sometimes dragons show up, power animals show up, and I'll say, well, thank you, and what can I give you in return? I would say 99 times out of 100, 999 out of 1,000, the answer is take your expanded self and go make a difference in the world. So the majority of the time, what is asked of me in return is not, well, you have to promise to give me an offering at the altar, or you have to promise to buy me such and such. It's about go be your absolute best and more expanded self. And that commitment, I have a lot of helpers, and that commitment matters because if they're there boosting me along, then I can keep putting. And as humans, we have such a unique ability in what we can bring to the earth. I don't think we realize always how critical human beings are to the further journey, the destiny, and the salvation of the earth. And if we can bring to the earth in our little daily microcosm, our expanded self, and if the power animals help us do it, the majority of the times I've connected and I've said to these intelligences, what do you want? They want to use their 
forces with us to change the world. Mm, What a beautiful note to end on. Don't we love this stuff? I totally love this stuff. And I'm so grateful to have had you on my show. This has been a wonderful conversation. I have enjoyed it so much. And I'm happy you like the book. I think the book has something to change anybody who reads it. Even if you don't have a health problem, the learnings here can really shift your life in general and give you a more expanded life. So the opportunity to tell people about it, I'm so appreciative of that. So thank you so very much. And also in the book, you take us on numerous, I mean, numerous, numerous shamanic journeys. Oh, they're so fun to do. So here's another thing. I tell this in the book. If you read through it to yourself and then you record it, maybe even on your iPhone, leaving pauses or when you're in your sort of altered state, when you're doing the journey and you need more time, just hit the pause button, playing it and following it as a guided meditation would be so powerful. And there is an audiobook, although I didn't narrate it. I'm narrating the recording all the journeys in my own voice with my own energy and pauses where I think they should go. And they're going to be up on my website soon. And that's drsharonmartin.com, drsharonmartin.com. And then truthfully, I think if I'm guiding you, you'll feel the energy of it and it'll be spectacular. Hmm. Sharon Martin is a licensed medical doctor and shamanic healer. She's a graduate of the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and the Healing the Light Body Curriculum of the Four Winds Society. And she's the author of this wonderful new book that we've been talking about, Maximize Your Healing Power, Shamanic Healing Techniques to Overcome Your Health Challenges. Sharon, again, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure to talk with you. I've had a wonderful time. Thank you for inviting me. Can you feel the pain? See the mess and trouble in your brain? And can you retain pressure rocks you like a hurricane? Is it time for you to jump into the next train? Change of hand, make a stand. I can see your heart change. Wake up, no more nap, your turn is coming up. You feel lazy, but stop the fantasies and bubble dust. If you need to hear, go for it. I will teach you how to feel the things so close to you, connect it all. That's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you missed any of the show or would like to hear it again, you can find this and all Magical Mystery Tour shows at soundcloud.com WGDR. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>